Welcome back, having Brainiacs to the podcast, talking about, uh, who are we talking about? Oh, a bunch of people, Joseph Jeremiah, Joseph Kalanin, William Sidney Walker, George Daly, Hartley, Coolridge. Um, just loading up my comments here, Swim says the mama fish, he says this is not a surprise, but Callahan, an Irish poet and translator, died of tuberculosis. Outlaw of Loch Lean is his most famous work. William Sidney Walker is mostly known for two Shakespearean works, which mainly deal with minute points of Shakespearean prosody, the patterns of rhythm and sound used in poetry and syntax, the arrangement of words and phrases to create well-formed sentences in a language. It is the wealth <coughs> of included illustrative quotation from Elizabethan literature that scholars are most interested. George Daly was an Irish poet, novelist, literary critic and author of mathematical texts. Many consider him on a level with Tennyson in poetic possibilities in the 40s, 1840s, but in the words of famous literary critic George Sainsbury, he had the marks of a talent that never did what it had in it to do. Um, as a critic, he was considered capable, but attracted some hostility with his savage treatment of authors he disliked. Hartley, Hartley Coolridge was the son of Samuel Taylor Coolridge. His literary reputation chiefly rests on his works of criticism, on his Prometheus, an unfinished lyric drama, and on his sonnets, a form which suited his particular skills. Um, cool. Sorry, I'm trying to put eye drops in while I'm podcasting, which means I can't really read. <clears throat> Swim says the Mama Fishy also says this. <clears throat> Alrighty then, based on my edition, we have 404 pages left. I did another calculation since we've picked up the pace and we have made up considerable ground. We are now reading at almost a threefold pace than previously. At this rate, we will finish up the Book of Verse by at least mid-January. Now, that's a bit more like it, isn't it? Um, then we do have a, another big a big book to go after that, Hail and Farewell. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we tackle that. It is a very big book with very few chapters. I think it has about I don't know, 10 chapters or something like that. And it's about the length of... I don't know. I don't know what it's the length of. It's long, though. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think each chapter is like, you know, 50, 60 pages. Um, I might be exaggerating, but whatever. Today we are talking about... Or reading, I should say. Sorry. Um, Thomas Hood. Thomas Hood. I'm just going to make sure I'm actually up to there. Yeah. Born 1780, uh, sorry, 98. Died 1845 at 47, probably of TB. First poem's called Autumn. I saw old autumn in the misty morn stand shadowless like silence, listening to silence for no lonely bird would sing into his hollow ear from woods forlorn. 
nor lowly hedge nor solitary thorn, shaking his languid locks all dewy bright, with tangled gossamer that fell by night, pearling his coronet of golden corn. What are the songs of summer, with the sun, oping the dusky eyelids of the south, till shade and silence waken up as one, and morning sings with a warm, odorous mouth? Where are the merry birds? Away, away, on panting wings through the inclement skies. Lest owls should pray, undazzled at noonday, and tear, tear with horny beak their lustrous eyes. Where are the blooms of summer in the west, blushing their last to the last sunny hours? Eve, uh, when the mild eve by a sudden night is pressed, like tearful proserpine, Snatched from her flowers to a most gloomy breast. Where is the pride of summer, the green prime? The many, many leaves, all twinkling, three on the mossed elm, three on the naked lime, trembling, and one upon the old oak tree. Where is the dryad's immortality? Gone into mournful cypress and dark. You. All wearing the long gloomy winter through in the smooth holly's green eternity. The squirrel gloats on his accomplished hoard. The ants have brimmed their garners with ripe grain. The honeybees have stored the sweets of summer in their luscious cells. The swallows have all have winged across the main. But here the autumn melancholy dwells and sighs her tearful spells amongst the sunless shadows of the plain, alone, alone upon a mossy stone. She sits and reckons up the dead and gone, with the last leaves for a love rosary, whilst all the withered world looks drearily like a dim picture of the drowned past in the hushed minds mysterious far away, doubtful what ghostly thing will steal the last into that distance grey upon the grey. Oh, go and sit with her and be overshaded under the languid downfall of her hair, she wears a coronal of flowers faded upon her forehead and a face of care. There is enough of withered everywhere to make her bower, and enough of gloom. There is enough of sadness to invite, if only for the rose that died, whose doom is beauties. She, that with the living bloom of conscious cheeks most beautifies the light. There is enough of sorrowing and quiet, enough of bitter fruits the earth doth bear, enough of chilly droppings for her bowl, Enough of fear and shadowy despair to frame her cloudy prison for the soul. Silence. There is a silence where hath been no sound. There is a silence where no sound may be. In the cold grave under the deep, deep sea, or in wide desert where no life is found, which hath been mute and still must sleep profound. No voice is hushed, no life treads silently, but clouds and cloudy shadows wander free that never spoke over the idle ground, but in green ruins in the desolate walls of antique palaces, where man hath been, though the dun fox or wild hyena calls, and owls that flit continually between shriek to the echo, and the low winds moan, there the true silence is, self-conscious and alone. Death. It is not death that sometimes in, in a sigh, this eloquent breath shall take its speechless flight, that sometime these bright stars that now reply in sunlight to the sun shall set in night, that this warm conscious flesh shall perish quite and all life's ruddy springs forget to flow, 
The thoughts shall cease and the immortal sprite be lapped in alien clay and laid below. It is not death to know this, but to know that pious thoughts which visit at new graves in tender pilgrimage will cease to go so duly and so oft, and when grass waves over the past away, there may be then no resurrection in the minds of men. Fair Inners Oh, saw you not, Fair Inners. She's gone into the west to dazzle when the sun is down and rob the world of rest. She took our daylight with her, the smiles that we love best, with morning blushes on her cheek and pearls upon her breast. Oh, turn again, fairiness, before the fall of night, for alone the moon should shine alone, and stars unrivaled bright, and blessed will the lover be that walks beneath the light, and breathes the love against thy cheek, I dare not even write, would I had been fairiness that gallant cavalier who rode so gaily by thy side and whispered thee so near where are there, there were there no bonny dames at home or no true lovers here that he should cross the sea seas to win the dearest of the dear i saw thee lovely innes descend along the shore with bands of noble gentlemen and banners waved before and gentle youth and maidens gay and snowy plumes they wore it would have been a beauteous dream if it had been no more Alas, alas, her in as she went away with song, with music waiting on her steps and shoutings at the throng. But some were sad and felt no mirth, but only music's wrong in sounds that sang farewell, farewell to her you've loved so long. Farewell, farewell, fair Innes, that vessel never bore. So fair a lady on its deck, nor danced so light before. Alas, for pleasure on the sea and sorrow on the shore, the smile that blessed one lover's heart has broken many more. Time of Roses it was never in the winter our loving lot was cast it was the time of roses we plucked them as we passed that churlish season never frowned on early lovers yet oh no the world was newly crowned with flowers that when first we met twas twilight and i bade you go but still you held me fast it was the time of roses we plucked them as we passed ruth she stood breast high amid the corn, clasped by the golden light of morn, like the sweetheart of the sun, who many a glowing kiss had won on her cheek, an autumn flush deeply ripened, such as blush in the midst of brown was born, like red poppies grown with corn. Round her eyes her tresses fell, which were blackest none could tell, but long lashes veiled a light that had else been all too bright, and her hat with shady brim made her tressy forehead dim. Thus she stood amid the stocks, appraising God with sweetest looks. Sure, I said, heaven did not mean, where I reap thou shouldest but glean. Lay thy sheaf of dawn, and come share my harvest and my home. The Deathbed We watched her breathing through the night, her breathing soft and low, as in her breast the wave of life kept heaving to and fro, so silently we seemed to speak, so slowly moved about, as we had lent her half our powers to eke her living out. Our very hopes belied our fears, our fears our hopes belied. We thought were her dying when she slept, and sleeping when she died. For when the morn came dim and sad and chill with early showers, her quiet eyelids closed, she had another morn. Than ours. The Bridge of Sighs 
One more unfortunate, weary of breath, rashly importunate, gone to her death. Take her up tenderly, lift her with care, fashioned so slenderly young and so fair. Look at her garments, clinging like cerements, whilst the wave constantly drips from her clothing. Take up her instantly, loving, not loathing. Touch her, not scornfully, think of her mournfully, gently and humanly, not of the stains of her. All that remains of her now is pure womanly. Make no deep scrutiny into her mutiny, rash and undutifully past all dishonour. Death has left on her only the beautiful. Still, for all slips of hers, one of Eve's family, wipe those poor lips of hers, oozing so clamorly. Loop up her tresses, escaped from the comb. Her fair auburn tresses would, whilst wonderment guesses, where was her home? Who was her father? Who was her mother? Had she a sister? Had she a brother? Or was there a dearer one still, and nearer one yet than all other? Alas, for the rarity of Christian charity under the sun, oh, it was pitiful. Near a whole city full, home she had none. Sisterly, brotherly, fatherly, motherly feelings had changed, love by harsh evidence, thrown from its eminence, even God's providence seemingly estranged. Where the lamps quiver so far in the river with many a light from window and casement, from garret to basement she stood with amazement houseless by night. The bleak wind of March made her tremble and shiver, but not the dark arch of the black flowing river. Mad from life's history, glad of death's mystery, swift to her be hurled anywhere, anywhere out of the world. In she plunged boldly, no matter how coldly the rough river ran, over the brink of it, picture it, think of it, dissolute man, lave in it, drink of it, then, if you can, take her up tenderly, lift her with care, fashioned so slenderly, young and so fair, here her limbs frigidly stiffen, to rigidly, decently, kindly, smooth and compose them, and her eyes close them, staring so blindly, dreadfully staring, through muddy impurity, as when with the daring last look of despairing, fixed on futurity, perishing gloomily, spurred by contumely, cold in humanity, burning insanity into her rest, cross her hands humbly as if praying dumbly over her breast, owning her weakness, her evil behaviour, and leaving with meekness her sins to her saviour. And that is the poetry of... Thomas Hood. Alright folks, thank you for listening to that. See you tomorrow.